This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to take a close-up look at a very rare and special breed of horse, the Spanish Mustang. The Spanish Mustang first came to the New World with the Spaniards back in the 1500s, spreading north until they could be found throughout the U.S. These were the horses that became the mounts of Native Americans and the original cow ponies of the West. After nearly dying out in the 1950s, the breed is making a comeback. Over the next half hour, we're going to talk to a breeder of Spanish Mustangs, Susan Cat, to find out where the breed has been, where it is going, and why you might want to consider making your next horse a Spanish Mustang. We'll be right back after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's designerpetsweaters.com, hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are going to take a look at the amazing Spanish Mustang. My guest is Spanish Mustang breeder Susan Cat, who owns Celt's Baroque Spanish Mustangs in Arizona. Welcome to the show, Susan. Hi, how are you? Good, good to have you. Tell us a little bit about the incredible history of the Spanish Mustang and how the breed was almost lost. Oh, boy. I'd like to start with conquistadors coming, um, wealth, gold, and silver and spices, prestige, spreading the Catholic religion, broad explorers like Soto, Cortez, Columbus, and eventually Father Kino uh, to the New World. Father Kino was a Jesuit uh, missionary and earlier explorer of uh, northern New Mexico and Arizona. And in 1687, he established missions in that area and uh, spread farming and ranching to the Indian uh, cultures and using the Spanish conquistador descendants uh, of their horses uh, throughout the, that region. Those horses eventually escaped or were turned loose and uh, became feral in the area. And then uh, the Apache uh, trade was considered one of the major uh, contributors to spreading uh, the Spanish Muslim throughout the uh, Native American culture, uh, particularly in the Great Plains. 
the tribes there became famous uh, for their superior horsemanship. And for at least one century, they became known as one of the greatest horse cultures uh, in the world, or known to the world. Also, the Navajo people had one of the nicest or what was considered one of the, the purest uh, Spanish Mustang herds up until 1935. And at that time, they had a sleeping sickness uh, epidemic run through the herd, and they lost uh, most of the horses. Some of the descendants are what's now called the Bar-In horses. They're highly sought-after ranch horses in Arizona and New Mexico. That's amazing. And so many people don't know this, that the horse, the descendants of that original horse are still here. Uh, there aren't too many of them. I believe there's about 3,000 left in the whole world. That's right. And um, so we're, there's a lot of effort going on to preserve them. Tell me about how the breed was, what condition the breed was in when people started trying to save it. Well, it had declined considerably as a, as a straight uh, colonial Spanish descendant due to the government intervention in their efforts to uh, handicap the Native American populations. They were shooting mass herds, putting uh, draft and remount stock into the herds uh, by sh- shooting the stallions and putting stallions of draft and remount uh, blood into the herds to handicap the horses, handicap the people. They also use some of those descendants of the re- of the draft crosses for their remount stock. Between that and uh, ranchers wanting to save the land for their cattle and shooting horses on site, various companies coming through in the 50s and wiping out herds or uh, basically dog food. The descendants of our early Spanish horses became um, almost non-existent back in, oh, the early 1900s, there were a handful of ranchers who recognized the value of these horses and kept them on their ranches. There were a few isolated herds uh, where uh, pioneering had not uh, settled as yet, and there were a few uh, what we consider some of the straightest or purest uh, Spanish Muslim descendants in those herds. They were very far and few between. About mid-1900s, Closer to the, well, yeah, I'd say about 1930 or so, people like Bob Brislon came on the scene, and they would, you know, use these horses in their daily lives. Bob worked as a uh, topographical uh, surveyor for the government, and he used uh, descendants of uh, Spanish Mustangs in his uh, in his work in the field throughout the Pacific Northwest. Traveling all over, he was hard put to find very, very many, and was able to amass just a handful for that work. And then he started the Spanish Mustang Registry in an effort to save the breed, is that yes, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he eventually ended up in Wyoming and uh, on the Cayuse Ranch there in Noshota, Wyoming. And he and Ernest, along with his family members and a few other uh, pioneers, started looking for, throughout the United States actually, traveling all over, mostly in the western states, looking for these rare descendants and coming across a handful, and I say that, you know, under 100 horses over a period of his lifetime that uh, he was able to amass together and bring to the Cayuse. In 1957, he and other pioneers gathered together and incorporated the Spanish Mustang Registry uh, in Oshota, Wyoming, for the purpose of preserving and promoting these horses. And like you said, the registration numbers are well up in the 3,000s now, and we're feeling that uh, that effort has been accomplished. How did you get into the breed? Well, I've been a trainer, horse trainer, for uh, most of my life, around 35 years. 
worked in a number of different breeds. I've watched most of those breeds decline in terms of soundness. And at one point, uh, I decided that I wanted to seek out a horse that uh, hadn't been overly affected by um, mankind. Also, when I was a child, I guess I still I had that dream way back then because I had written to Bob Rizlon and asked him about the Spanish Mustang, and he had written me a handwritten letter, and so there was a bit of a romance there. That between the two, I decided to contact the registry, contacted a number of uh, registries out there, and uh, chose the Spanish Mustang registry because of the uh, work they were doing to keep their horses clean within their own bloodlines, within the bloodlines of that registry. And Mm -hmm. the fact that the horses were being ranched and very few private breeders at that time were involved. And where did you get your first Spanish Mustangs? I uh, bought my first two Spanish Mustangs from a woman in here in Arizona, the Spanish Horse Conservancy. She had bought the sire, and, or she bought the dam of the stallion that I ended up with and the southern mare that I ended up with from Kitty Brislon, who is the sister-in-law to Emma Brislon at the Cayuse Ranch. They live right next door at the Starflower Ranch. And so we ended up with the culmination of her bringing these bloodlines that she got from Kitty together, and we continued to breed them for specific aspects. Uh, it was a gated line. It was a very, very broke I want to say Andalusian-looking type in a primitive way. Very elegant horses that she had brought together from uh, Kitty's program, and uh, so we continued it. Now, how would you say the Spanish Mustang is different from other breeds of horses? I think they're very different, but I'd like to know what you (laughs) see. (laughs) (laughs) I think it comes to mind is their intelligence Uh and their character. I mean, yes, they exude the Spanish characteristics, which, you know, there are a number of breeds that do that. So they're a smaller horse, you know, 13-2 to 15 hands, 15 considered quite large. So, you know, they, they have a few things like that that set them apart right off the bat. Their color, they have every color under the sun. Uh, that can set them apart to some degree. But what really sets this horse apart basically two aspects. One is their character, their intelligence. That they have a huge sense of humor. They require you to listen to them as opposed to it being a one-way street of them always listening to you. They require a partnership of you. <laughs> it, it, they're not a whore. They're not a push-button train. Being a trainer, they've taught me more about how to become a partner than any other breed I've ever worked with. The other aspect is their versatility. You can take one horse and you could choose to be do three-day eventing with him. Pony, you know, three-day eventing, of course, since there would be considered a, a pony size in, in that venue. And that same horse, you could go out and run an endurance course with, or you could go on the ranch and work cattle with. They're very cowy. You could run barrels with that same horse. And you could be competitive in all of those, those venues. Very versatile mm-hmm. horse. And at the same time, horse to riding may go out and perform very well on a dressage test today and tomorrow perform in a gated venue. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the gated part of this breed. Well, that's my specialty is uh, breeding the gated Spanish Mustangs. I have a background in a number of gated breeds, including the Peruvian Paso and the Paso Fino, uh, and a few of the American breeds. And the beauty of this breed compared to the other, I'm going to say Spanish colonial descending gated breeds, 
is that you get the beauty or the, or the class and the comfort of the four-beat gate that might come with the apostrophenol or the more lateral four-beat gate or the Peruvian apostle, but what you don't get is the extreme fire. You get a more settled horse that still has brio, is still probably even smoother in most cases than some of the other breeds, but you're not feeling like you're sitting on a, a ball of energy or ball of fire while you're riding them. I think that's the biggest thing that sets them apart. Training them is a little difficult because they are multi-gated. There are a few individuals that do only gate or are only pacey, as they would say it, and few that are only trotty. That not all the horses in this breed are, are gated, but the large majority are, and they are multi-gated, which means they can go out and walk, trot, and canter a very clean performance in each of those gates and turn around. If you if you train them properly to have a, a separate set of signals and learn how to switch their balance and whatever, they will then uh, go from a walk, say a trot down to a walk and pick up their gait, go back down to a walk, pick up their canter, come back down to a stop, pick up their gait. And you can ride them alternately that way, but it, you do need to spend some time working out, keeping the gates clean and keeping the horses from becoming confused. And that's unusual to have a horse that will trot and also gait. Uh, in most breeds, yes. <laughs> in our yeah. breed, it's common. Right, right. <laughs> it's right. it's the, common, the common denominator of our breed is that they're uh-huh. gated. That's really interesting. Another thing about them that I've heard uh, that sets them apart is they're very rugged horses. They're, they have hard hooves. They don't need shoes. Um, they don't need like high concentrated feed. They don't even need alfalfa. Yes. Yeah. That's another uh, area that I feel very strongly in is, is that we all need to understand that when, when I say that this horse uh, is an easy keeper and doesn't need to have all the rich feeds, that we do need to provide a balanced diet. Uh, it is a horse, regardless of its breed. However, if we, in that balanced diet we start feeding uh, heavy uh, minerals and vitamins and rich foods, alfalfa, grains, and so on, we can cause uh, sugar imbalances, Cushing's disease, things like that. And and that's in any breed, not just this breed. It's just that. These horses, for many generations, have survived on scrub. They're an easy keeper. They're, I think one of the benefits to new horse people, or horse all horse people, that this breed has to offer is that it's economic. You can feed this horse well on almost half the, the cost of what you would feed the average quarter horse or, or a horse that weighs 1,000 to 1,500 pounds. I think that's very, very important in our current economy, that people understand that Yes, it has to be balanced. The horse has to be healthy, but you can feed them on grass hay as opposed to alfalfa. They're going to stay fat on, you know, just less less work, less feed, less money spent. Mm-hmm. Their feet are superb. I have not met a Spanish Mustang that couldn't be ridden bare, barefoot. When I say that, if you're going to ride in where we live in Arizona and the superstition rocks, it's volcanic rock, they should have some kind of hoof protection. It can be boots. But And it depends on how far and how long you're going to ride them. If you keep your horse in all week and you're going to ride him on the weekends, he'll probably need protection. If you're campaigning your horse and conditioning him for endurance and riding him long distance on a daily basis, his feet are going to be rock hard. Mm-hmm. Most of my horses, I've only had one that had any kind of uh, hoof issues, and it was minor. It was just a, I can't be honest, it was so minor, I can't remember, you know, what it was. 
all of my horses are ridden foot. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Susan about what the Spanish Mustang can do and why they make such great horses in this day and age. We've touched on that a little bit. We're going to get into a little bit more uh, right after we get back. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we're taking a look at the amazing Spanish Mustang. My guest is Spanish Mustang breeder Susan Cat. Um, Susan, tell me what the status is of the breed today. I know there's 3,000 horses, but where, where are they and um, what are people doing with them? Well, th- this is an exciting time for us in, in this breed. Uh, we have horses right now out there promoting the breed at the Kentucky Horse Park on exhibition there, and we'll be there, I guess, most of the summer. Uh, possibly, I'm thinking for the whole program. I'm not really sure how long it is. We have a horse who has been accepted as first premium in the Sport Horse Sport Pony Association. That's quite a that's quite an award. And a horse has to be pretty good to get first premium the first time out. We have horses out there performing at high levels in endurance, three-day eventing. And some of our breeders have become kind of uh, fairly specific in what they're looking for. They're breeding for better quality, better balance. I can't say better color because we've always been known for our color production in this breed. But the common goal throughout all the, the breeders is quality versus quantity. Quantity is going down, quality is going up, and with it, the prices are going up. Right now, it's a pretty affordable horse, considering what an it, amazing animal it is. Yeah, uh, the Spanish Mustang has has been available, depending on where you buy it from, for as little versus, let's say, foal, uh, $650, to a, a full-grown, well-trained well-promoted horse, maybe $5,000. The middle range, of course, is fifteen dollars to $2,500. That makes them very affordable for people just wanting to get into a breed or switching over in breeds, new to horse people and families. But we are seeing the prices go up. We're seeing fewer of the horses sold at these lower prices. Mm-hmm. Um, more of the foals are being sold between fifteen and two thousand. More of the adult horses are being sold between three and five. It's happening. Mm-hmm. It's slow, but we're and and we don't want this breed to be priced out of the range. 
of the everyday person. But we are very happy to see that people are recognizing that this is a rare breed and that it's a valuable breed. It's a piece of our history, and they're willing to pay just a little bit more for it because of that. We also have... I'm personally very excited about this. I have just sold a, one of my stallions to uh, a woman in Scotland, and he will be going over there this fall. Uh, there's several breeders in the U.K. and in the E.U. now, and we're quite proud uh, that people in Europe uh, are buying a piece of our history. I understand um, a filly went over there, I guess, almost a year ago to Germany. Yes, we have a filly that went to Germany. We've had several horses go to England. Via England, we have them going to Ireland and France and Scotland. There's a woman in Australia that's been uh, consistently looking. At some point, she'll probably, if not her, someone from there because of the promotions will be mm-hmm. taking a horse over. And and we're actively promoting this. We're acti- actively supporting these people. It's a, they, these are pioneers over there that are that are bringing even a and we think that's a hard time with a rare breed in, in our own country. It's our own breed. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> they're taking this breed over there and 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 they're doing wonder wonders with it. Right. They seem to really appreciate the history the 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 history that we kind of maybe in a way take for granted. They think it's quite a big deal. Yeah, they do. They're very excited about <laughs> basically our Wild West history, our, our right. you know the Native American aspect, and the and the rancher and the Spanish Mustang, or the, the descendants of the Spanish Mustangs who ran the cattle drives and and handled the longhorn steers. You know, back when you know this was in no really open spaces. It was hard work, you know, shoving these cattle through the terrain, and you had to have a pretty good horse to do that. So those people over there, they, they look at that, and, and they see the wonder in it. We, we've, we've kind of taken it for granted, but they see the wonder in it. Right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the colors in this breed. That's one of the things that I find most interesting. Um, we You mentioned a little bit before, but there's Appaloosa, coloring in this breed, uh, Pinto, um, there's all kinds of really interesting duns and gruyas, there's striped legs, and there's all kinds of neat stuff here, and I'm, I'm wondering... almost all of them, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, what's really interesting to me is the, um, the Appaloosa coloring, because having come from that breed, originally, I, we always knew that the Appaloosa markings came from somewhere, but when I learned about the Spanish Mustang, I began to realize this is where it came from. Yeah, originally it did. It came across with the uh, early conquest horses. Either there were Appaloosas or they were carrying the LP gene, and, of course, once it got over here... Started cropping up. You had originally you had the the clean blankets and the the, the leopard and and a few of the varnish roans and you know a whole array of the appies. Now in our breed, due to the preservation efforts of just getting the genetics, the genetic marbles secure, all the colors have been intermixed. So some of the the really classic Appaloosa patterns have been lost. The leopards being the, the main one. We're in the process. There's a group out there, uh, Spanish Mustang uh, breeders and enthusiasts, who are working diligently to try to bring that pattern back. And we're really proud of those people. And then there's breeders of the Dun Factor horses, the the Duns, the Gruyas, the Red Duns, uh, that have firmly established those colors in, in our breed. And the Pintos include the Overo, the Sabino, Frame Overo, Splash Overo. 
in the Spanish Mustang Registry, we we only register the Overo colors or the Sabino colors and the Pentos. Other registries registries will include Tobianos, Rones, and of course all the normal colors: bay, gray, and chestnut. Some of my favorites are, are the Rones, the really classic uh, uh, Gruya and black and bay Rones. And I know the, um, at least it's my feeling, I mean, nobody really knows for sure, but it seems that the quarter horse breed has, you know, the original Spanish Mustang in its background somewhere, and that's most likely where the Pinto gene came from, and that's how the pain horse ended up being the pain yeah, horse. Yeah, the, and the same with the Appy. Um, you know, if you follow the history as close as we know it, first off, your Spanish colonial horses, the horses that were brought over here, are descendants in some cases, and probably most cases, of horses that were cattle in Spain or Portugal or, you know, the various branches out there. These horses have had cow in them, and some of the used for working the bullfighting stock. So these are very brave, cowy horses to start with. Then their descendants were used for ranch and farming to help develop or produce horses for the exploration. Their descendants then eventually became ranch horses, and were used for working the Texas Longhorn, a very difficult cattle breed to, you know, handle in, in the wilderness. They just took the horses they had and they crossed them on the thoroughbred and draft. So the quarter horse itself, I know the quarter horse people, you know, probably don't like to hear it, but the early, early foundations certainly did have some Spanish Mustang and the Chickasaw was one of the, the main in terms of Spanish Mustang blood to the to the early foundations of the quarter horse, some mm-hmm. of the quarter horses. So yes, the through some of those infusions, the color was, you know, cropping up. King Ranch used uh, Spanish Mustang mares early, early on in, in, in their on their in their ranch. Mm-hmm. So an avenue for the color to crop up. Right. And as far as the gated aspect, uh, in our American breeds that are gated, for example, the Tennessee Walking Horse, the American Saddlebred, um, is it the feeling of Spanish Mustang people that those breeds derive their gatedness from the Spanish Mustang? I think that's a complicated issue because, yeah, we do assume that the Spanish Mustang is behind a number of those breeds as well. And uh, since the Spanish Mustang... uh, the early conquest horses and the horses of that time, of the 1500s, the, the fad was gated horses. So uh, gated horses are being exported all over the country or all over the uh, Europe from, from Spain. So the gated aspect did come with the Spanish stock. However, we have to keep in mind that gate also relies heavily on confirmation. And as you put a bunch of marbles together, how those marbles line up when you throw them out onto the floor, how they come together, will define how uh, the mechanism works. Mm-hmm. So some of gatedness could have come from just the way that uh, it is assumed that the propensity for, for it came with the Spanish Mustang. Well, this has been really interesting. I think it's an incredible breed, and people should definitely um, check them out. 
what we're going to do in the episode info section of the PetLifeRadio.com website, the Horsing Around page. We're going to have a link there where you can go on and see a whole bunch of websites that have information about what's being done as far as genetic research and breeding programs and all kinds of other stuff regarding the Spanish Mustang and also learn more about the breed and find out where breeders are around the country and how you can get involved in helping uh, bring this amazing horse back to where it should be on everybody's mind. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Susan, for being my guest this week. Thank you. I'm glad that you were able to spend time with us. And if you have any questions or comments out there about horsing around or the Spanish Mustang, please email me at Audrey at PetLifeRadio.com. Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio, horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.